Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. How are you today? Good. Good to see you all. It is great to see uh, many who I haven't seen in a while as well. As, uh, man, the first service was pretty full. This service, we may have to think about bringing the third service back again uh, as people are coming back to church again after everything. But it's great to see you all. Before uh, we open up God's Word, if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 this morning, it's where we're going to be. But before, I just wanted to quickly compel you. I don't know if you know, but uh, there's a lot of stuff happening in the next two weeks in our nation. And... Uh, we as a church uh, want to gather together and pray over uh, uh, many things. And so this Thursday night, we're going to be gathering here for just a night of worship and prayer, uh, praying uh, not just specifically for that, but praying for us that we would see personal revival. We'd see revival in our families, revival in our church, in our communities, in our nation, and uh, lay things down at the Lord's feet and uh, show, Lord, that we are dependent on him in this season and in every season. So if you're able and you want to join us, we'd love to have you here on Thursday at 7 p.m. We'll be gathered in here, sometimes of declaration and singing, sometimes in declaration and prayer, uh, just together as a church family, and we'd love to have you uh, here. You'll, if you get our emails, you've seen that, or you'll see it on social and stuff, but we'd love to have you joining us. So Second uh, Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter 2 is where we, where we are this morning as we continue in our series called Unshakable, as we've been tracking through First Peter, and it's been quite challenging for us in the seasons and times that we're living uh, today. And as I was, as I was uh, looking at today, it started making me think about significant moments in my own life uh, where I was impacted in, in very significant ways, where it changed maybe the course of my direction of my life. Um, I remember quite vividly uh, the first time I met my wife. Um, it was a supernatural experience, and uh, I met my wife, and then, you know, the weird, awkward conversations happened and all that kind of stuff. The rest is history. Thirteen years later, we've been married, and we have three little ones, and it's amazing, but I remember the first time I met Sarah, and it is life-changing. Like, my life will never be the same. She says the same thing, but more in the negative light, but for me, it's all positive, Right? I remember very specifically the first time I heard my, my first child, Addison, screech in the hospital when she was born, and I said, Lord, help me. Uh, I have no clue what I'm doing, and uh, it's been amazing to see and watch other people watch their, raise their daughters and glean wisdom, and, and uh, man, I know that that changed my life forever, and it set me in a different trajectory in life. I remember moments in church here and um, when I previously worked at our Troy campus and shepherding and pastoring people in the final moments of life or when they were spending the last few moments of life with their loved one. And those moments were significant for them and for me even as the pastor. And I know that just in those moments, God's uh, challenged and moved me in such a way that was super significant. Watching, uh, I, I can remember a number, so many stories, but certain stories that just touch you differently. Remembering significant moments when people gave their lives to Jesus and just radical transformation and people's lives are new and, and when marriages have been healed and some all these different amazing things that just significantly uh, impact you when your children give their lives to Jesus. It's significant. It impacts you. I mean, you know, those are a lot of different examples. You think about national, uh, on a national level, if you remember uh, where, I'm sure you remember exactly where you are, where you were 
in 2001, on September 11th. I mean, just change things. It's significant. Your life will never literally be the same because of that. I mean, even what we're living in right now, I don't even know if sometimes we understand the significance of it in the sense of, men. It's, it's, it's life-altering, as we've seen in a lot of different ways. And this is somewhat what we see here in, in 1 Peter as well, as they're living their lives, whether uh, life-shattering or, or life-giving, uh, there's moments in life that can never be the same, and their things change. And when we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we see in this moment, Peter introduces himself, and we see something similar. Peter introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ in 1.1, literally saying that he was a part of Jesus' ministry. He, he walked hand in hand with Jesus. So he remembers moments significantly when Jesus did certain miracles and it impacted him. His teachings when it impacted him. Imagine the moment when Peter gets rebuked by Jesus and called Satan. You think that impacted him? There's significant moments. The, 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 the Mount of Transfiguration as Peter was there with him when he was arrested and he tried to defend Jesus. As Jesus hung on the cross and the sky grew dark. And when the earth shook under his feet, when Jesus drew his final breath, he probably was moved in powerful ways as he went to the empty tomb, and then he saw the resurrected Christ. Peter's life was radically changed forever because of what he witnessed in Christ. And now, what's amazing is thousands of years later, there's a bunch of people here today, previously in another service, across all the Woodside campuses, and then across the church all over the world, whose lives have been radically changed because of what they've witnessed in Peter's life. And so the Christian life goes, that there's something that happens when people live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ, and it changes other people's lives when they witness them and they see them firsthand, when it changes them because of what they've seen in other people. And they have unique differences in following Jesus. And what we're going to see today is just that, that your life is your witness. Your life is your Witness, whether you like it or not, uh, this morning you're here with us, uh, whether you like it or not, your life is witnessing or it's attesting to something or someone. It just is. Your life, your words, your love, your message, your grace, your hope, your joy, your selfish, selflessness, or the lack of all of those things is witnessing and attesting to something just like it did in the life of Jesus. And we see this throughout scripture. I mean, even last week, my brother John was sharing from the word of God as we continued in our series. And he taught on the passage that says of what we are in Christ, that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. Isn't that amazing? Makes you feel warm and fuzzy. It's great, right? But, but if you just keep reading, it says, so, there's a purpose clause there, so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. He, he didn't make us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, this people that he's been forming for all of time so that we could sit on our hands in a couch or a pew and wait till Jesus comes back. No, he did it so that we could praise him, live for him, and point others to him that he might continue to grow the church. But I'm going to tell you, some maybe uh, are sitting here today, um, that's maybe not the way that you're living or you're experiencing, that maybe for some, the enemy's stolen or distracted you for a moment. 
You no longer are hearing the voice of Christ in you, the love of Christ in you. You're no longer experiencing the joy of Christ that is residing in you by the Holy Spirit. It's been replaced with old things like self-idolatry and self-satisfaction, self-fulfillment, maybe uh, selfish ambition or appetites because we're living in this battle every single day in the world that we're living in, whether to live for spiritual things or live for fleshly things. So I'm going to just ask you before we open up, what's the message you're preaching with your life? Like, what, what are you pointing to? What are you directing people to? As Christ has called us to live as a witness, like, what is your point, what is your life pointing other people to? If they look at the real of your heart, what is it pointing to people? Because I promise you, what you live, as we're going to get to in a moment, what you live on the inside, what you live on your internal flesh will represent itself in the external all the time. We live in this world where we think we can separate these things, but it's not true. What we, who we are in our heart will eventually come out of our mouth from the heart the mouth speaks, right? So I just want to ask you, how do we live every single day? And this is where we're going to get just two verses this morning. As we're called to live a life that's a witness, our life is our witness. So uh, what battles do we have to win within our lives as we go forward to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to witness for Christ? What battles do we have to win? Well, I'm just going to show you two from our passage today. They're super straightforward. You see them in the text. The first one is to win the battle within, as it says in, in verse 11. Of chapter 2, it'll be on the screen. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to what? To abstain from the pleasures of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Do you see why I say we have to win the battle within? It says, abstain from the pleasures of the flesh, which war, wage war against your soul, who you are. And so up to this point, man, uh, the apostle Peter has been using this amazing language, telling us who we are in Christ. He's been telling us all this amazing stuff that in Christ, we've been born again to a living hope. We've been given an inheritance. Uh, man, our salvation is guarded by God himself. Man, we have been transformed by the blood of Jesus, right? I mean, all these amazing things. We're chosen, we're priests, we're exiles, but we're citizens of God's nation. We're his possession, all this stuff. It's amazing. It's so good. For us to understand what our identity is, right? That's why he starts off by saying, beloved. Like, this is who you are. You're beloved of God. You are his children. You are his holy nation. You're his church. You are beloved. So, man, before we get into a moment where I'm going to challenge us on some maybe some fleshly things that are in our own hearts, sinful things that are in us that maybe no one else in this room knows, no, our spouse, our loved ones, our friends, nothing. Before we get to that point, I think some people maybe just need to know that if you are in Christ today, you are loved. You're beloved. And no matter what you're wrestling with today and you've been struggling with last night or the week before, in, if you're in Christ, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, you are beloved. You are loved. And nothing can change that. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's impacted your relationship with Jesus, sure. It's maybe impacted your relationship with your spouse, yeah. It's impacted friendships around you, yes. But Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. And today, that's who you are before we go any further. Well, in verse 11, it marks this transition in the text as he's writing to these people. It marks this moment, right, where Peter's argument changes 
His main concern now from this point until 419 in 1 Peter is this, that Christians live rightly amongst Gentiles. And so to translate that for us, that Christians, you and I, would live in the right manner amongst non-believers. Do we live in such a way that non-believers would actually know who we are day to day, hour by hour? So in other words, he says, man, you who are sojourners and exiles headed on your way to your inheritance in Christ, you must shape the way you live based on who you are. Live up to the actual calling you can see it as he urges them. He says, I urge you. You can almost see like he's, he's begging them in his voice as he's straining his voice as he writes, please listen to me. He says, since you've been marked by the grace of God, you must refrain from some things. You have to stop living for our flesh. We're actually, as foreigners in the world that we're living in, we're called not to live about the world we're living in. So as others have said, don't, you could be in the world, but not of the world. And I hate having that kind of conversation, to be honest with you, because many times Christians over the years have gotten their place, self in a place, it's us versus them. And it's not us versus them. It's us trying to invite them to be a part of us. So it's not like, I hate speaking like that, like the world is trying to do this and we are supposed to do this. No, what we're supposed to, yes, live in the world we're in, be a vital part of the world. But he says there's certain things we shouldn't live for. We shouldn't allow them to mold how we are and who we are. So he says, as you live in this world, abstain from the passions of your flesh. And this is something that Peter's been sharing the entire, maybe you haven't noticed it if you've been reading, he's been sharing the entire time in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1, 4, he says, Obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then he names some of the passions in chapter 2. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And he goes on in chapter 4 and verse 2, Live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living sensually, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. I want to point out to you, do you notice what Peter says? He's been saying through his entire letter, but he noticed what he says in our passage today. He makes a connection, which a connection I don't think that many of us in this room often make, and the world for sure does not make when he makes this connection. They don't agree with them. They live in opposite of it. And I think many times we do the same. He makes this connection that what we do in our bodies, our flesh, if you will, affects the health of our soul. What we do in our bodies, in our flesh, will actually impact our soul, that it actually wages war against our soul. As our passage says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. There's things that in your flesh, maybe nobody in this room knows that you're committing in your own mind and your own heart and it wages war on your soul. You don't know what mine are and I don't know what yours are oftentimes, but we're living in them many times and they're waging a war on your soul and your spirit as you are trying to live out the kingdom of God but are unable to. You see, here's the thing. I think many times we allow the things that are out there, the ideologies of the world to impact our own heart and our soul within the church. So there's 
To them, to many people, they don't think this is true whatsoever. This is actually a disconnected thing. Giving in to the passions of your flesh and doing whatever you want with your mind and your body, it doesn't damage your soul whatsoever. Let me give you two examples. Yeah, you can have. Have casual sex, sex before marriage, and it won't, it won't affect your heart and your soul in the future with someone else. It's actually maybe encouraged in, in the world that we live in. Don't worry about pornography. It's day-to-day operational, statistically, for many people. And it won't impact anyone else. No one knows what else is going on in your own mind and your own heart as you struggle with lust or to the world. Maybe not struggling with, just completely engaged because it's not a big deal. It doesn't impact anyone else. It's not waging war on my soul. It actually is no big deal whatsoever. And those are just some other things. Maybe materialistic ide- uh, idolatry has infiltrated its way into the church where many believers in Christ now form their lives around materialism. My life is built on materialism, and now I have to do everything I do in life to keep up with my materialism, and I'm not actually to be able to be generous. I'd love to be generous, Jim, like you say that Christians are supposed to be, not just in the church, but outside the church, but I can't because I've strapped myself so much materialistically that I have to keep up with it. Or covetousness. Or comparing that I put my identity in stuff and things and the way that I look. And we live in an age of social media where I scroll through feeds and I see everyone else and, man, that person's prettier than I am. They have a bigger home than I have. Man, they must have more money than I do. And we compare ourselves with others and we allow that to affect our identity and then it affects the way that we live. And you can go on and on. Lots of different things that live in your heart and your souls and my heart and my soul many times. And we feel as though they won't wage war on our soul. And we wonder why now there's such in the, maybe the, the, the wealthiest place in the world or ever, with all that we have at our fingertips, there is mass quantities of people growing in depression and anxiety, suicide. Broken marriages and broken families, and we still think that it's not waging war on our soul. But it is. God's been telling us from the very beginning, since Genesis 3 on, he's been telling us there's a way that leads to life, and then there's a way that leads to death. And men, separation from God for all of eternity, death. But I would say more than that, we sometimes forget that it it leads us to death right now. The passions of our flesh promise to fulfill our soul, but actually in the roundabout way that actually kill our soul. And and I and I talk to so many believers in Jesus, and they they wonder why, man, I just feel like I know I believe in God. I know I place my faith in Jesus, but man, I haven't heard a word from God, and I don't remember how long. I don't feel close to God. I feel separated from him. I wonder if he even hears me sometimes. I don't know when the last time I read my Bible. And we wonder why many of Christians feel this way. It's because I'm living spiritually dead because I'm allowing things to reign in my own heart and soul. And then I feel dead because it's waging war on my soul. I wonder if you can identify with this. Paul beautifully articulates in Romans the wrestling of the inner being of the flesh of sin when he says this, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Hello, anybody else? 
Now, if I do not, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he gives the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That the, the way of victory is through the one who already won the victory. Thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord, because I'll tell you, there's so many Christians, maybe yourself, and you've gone through time and time and time again where you're like, I'll just give it, uh, I'll give it up, or I'll try to be stronger, I'll be better, I'll put it away, I'll abstain, and we fail. I don't want to be encouraging this morning, but you will epically and utterly fail in that way. As we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're like, man, I don't want to let anybody else know what I'm walking through because, man, if they knew who I was and what I was walking in, the thoughts that I had last week, they would be like, dude, um, I'm never going to hang out with you again and Jim, you need to kick them out of the church. But we all struggle with those things. And we struggle and we wrestle and we don't want to bring them into the light so we can bear one another's burdens and we don't want to confess them one to another because we live under the banner of the weight of shame and guilt. Because we think we're the only ones when really, that's what Satan loves to do, isolation, isolation, isolation. And at the end of the day, God has an amazing way forward, but it's not through me. The path to overcoming sin is through submission to the spirit of Christ. He says in Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Listen to this, though. You, however, so anyone who's here a believer today, I want to speak this over you. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If it in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, if you know Jesus today, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You will not overcome in your own flesh. You will not do enough things to change your patterns. Only in submission to the spirit of Christ when I go before him and I lay it all down and say, Lord, I can't do this. I've been wrestling with this for 20 years and no one knows about it. Not even my spouse, my friends, my family, and I just can't overcome. Or maybe everyone knows about it. We have to win the battle within. The only way we win the battle within is actually to lay it down. Our faith journey begins with placing our faith in Jesus. Our faith journey continues by placing our faith in Jesus and submitting to the Spirit of God and allow the Spirit to come alive in us with repentance. Repentance is not like, God, I know it's wrong. Repentance is, Lord, I never want to walk that way again and I'm going to turn and change. I'm going to walk that way from now on. And I'm going to invite people in my life to hold me accountable. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read word, the word of God to saturate it into my mind and heart. I'm going to involve other people in the process so that I'm running in the opposite direction because I want to overcome the battle within. I don't want to keep living in it. I don't want to make excuses. I don't want to keep walking in it. 
No, Lord, I'm going to submit to your ways. So I just ask you this morning, now afternoon, how are you doing with the battle within? What's your message? Are you trying to tackle temptation and the sins of the flesh on your own? Because you're in a fight. And it's not a small one, it's a battle. Every day we don't know the battle. But Satan's literally tried to rob you of your joy and your relationships and your loved ones and even your own life. And the Apostle Peter is saying, man, today, win the battle within. Because what we're going to talk about now is win the battle outside. But the battle outside is only won if the battle within is actually, you're winning. Not like you'll never fail again, but you're overcoming. You're making progress. Look in verse 12 as he calls us to win the battle outside. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You see, now that's his main concern going forward. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. You know what that means? So they'll see your good deeds, they'll accept Christ, they'll follow him, and they'll actually see God on the day of salvation, and they'll be glorifying him because of it. You see, the apostle Peter begins by saying you need to resist some stuff, and now he's saying, hey, you need to embrace some stuff. He's saying Christianity is more than just a list of rules not to do. Hello, anybody else grew up in that culture? Here's Christianity. Here's all the things that you shouldn't do, which is all well and good. There's a lot of things we shouldn't do as Jesus calls us to, but there's a whole lot of things that Jesus calls us to. It's it's like, man, God is so much for us. He has so many works, as it says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You've been created for good works. Not only that, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that there's good works before the foundation of the world. God said you would walk in them, and every day I have the choice to submit to Christ and walk in obedience to the works that God has already given me to do and brings to light by the power of the Spirit living in me. He says, live the battle, win the battle outside. He calls us to do all these things. It's throughout Scripture. I remember, man, you you read this and you think about what Peter must have remembered from his conversation with Jesus as Jesus preached this epic message, maybe the greatest sermon in all of time on the Sermon on the Mount. And towards the beginning of the sermon in chapter 5 and verse 16, Peter heard these words from Jesus in the same way. Let your light shine before others. Why? Just so you can be a shiny individual in the world? Just so that we could do stuff to make God happy? So we could attend church and be generous and try to shine before the world other six days a week just so God will look down and smile or one day he'll let me into heaven? No, that's not what the scriptures say. God looks down and he's happy because Christ took my place. Now I live out every single day and I want to shine for him because he loves me not to gain his love. And he says, why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Does that sound anywhat similar to what Peter just said? Peter's taking what he heard from Jesus and he's sharing it to those in 1 Peter. He's writing to them and saying, men, live in such a way that your good works will bring honor and glory to God so that other people see what you're doing, how you live, and actually it might impact their lives for the gospel. Do you understand what he's talking about here is stuff that's visible? Visible. 
He's saying, man, let what you do, let, let your conduct be honorable before Gentiles so that they can see it, and one day when they stand before God, they will glorify him because they have given their lives to Jesus. So let me just ask you real quick. When you leave this place today and you go live another six days a week somewhere else, what are you doing in your life, good works that bring glory and honor to Jesus, that point people to Jesus, what are you doing that is visible? visible. So when people see it, man, so that people will point, it'll point people to Jesus. My whole life I heard this amazing verse, to always be ready to give an answer, right, for the hope that we have. So it's a great verse. It's a challenging verse because you want to be ready to be able to share with people what your hope is but I was never challenged to live in such a way that people would actually ask a question. You know that verse presupposes that someone actually would ask about the hope that you have? It presupposes that I would be living in such a way that was visible. Living in such a way that I'm overcoming the battle out externally, that I'm living honorable amongst unbelievers, that when they see my life, they're like, there's something different about Jim Dalkey. And it's not just that he wears a suit coat on Sunday morning. It's the way he lives every single day. So if I can press on you a little bit, in the next number of weeks, some crazy times, some challenging times maybe, some overwhelming times are going to be coming. And man, the way we live is important. The way we, on, we live honorable amongst unbelievers is important. So that when they look at us and men, they say, man, all things have gone crazy in the last month. How do you still have hope and joy and love? And how do you have all these things? You turn and point and say, man, because my hope is in Jesus. It's not in a presidential candidate. My hope is in Jesus. It's not in the things that are going around. Those things are all good and well, and we're involved in all those things, but my hope is in Christ. And I love people differently. And I live with people differently. And I express myself differently. The point is that way Christ lived is that he was a light that penetrated the world. And it made a radical, radical difference. Man, these are seemingly unforeseen and dark days today. I'll tell you what, it's maybe the darkest I've lived in my life. With all the unrest and the craziness and bickering and fighting and side choosing and all the things I've said to you this before. The darker it gets, the easier it is for you to shine brightly. The darker it is, with the less love shown in the world around us, the easier it is for you to be so bright when you show a little bit of love. Galatians chapter 5, I want to I read this to you as we close. The Apostle Paul is writing and he expresses the same thing what we've been talking about, to live unto the spirit and not into the flesh. And he goes through all of these things and he says, man, don't do these things. Don't live for your flesh. And he starts naming things. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now listen to these few and see if you haven't seen this in the world around you. Enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. He goes on, envy, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, all these other things. And he calls us not to live in such a way. He calls us to live differently. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Man, if we as the people of God would begin to live honorably amongst non-believers in the world we're living in, in the dark days we're living in, can I tell you these things shine really, really bright when we start to live for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We begin to live honorably amongst non-believers and we begin to win our battle outside and we represent Christ well in such a way that they say, man, I don't agree with you on any political point or lifestyle point or anything, but you are still so gentle with me and you love me. Can I tell you, that's what will change people's lives. It's when I begin to live honorably in the world that God has called me to. So I just want to challenge you this morning Maybe you're struggling with the battle within. And there's things that are in your life that, man, you'd say, no one knows the struggles that I have in my own heart and my own soul. And maybe the things just make you feel ashamed, like, man, I wrestle with this, and you can call it out. Or I'm just really struggling with anxiety in the season, Jim. I know the Bible says I'm not supposed to, but I am. And I don't want to tell anyone because I feel like this. Or Jim, I've been wrestling with this for 10 years. I can't overcome. I've done the three things to overcome this, and it just doesn't work. This morning, we're going to sing a song, Oh, Come to the Altar. And literally, if you want to, you have this freedom every single Sunday. I grew up in a Baptist church where people came forward. And you feel so led to come forward to say, today, Lord, enough's enough. I want to overcome the battle within. I want to run in the other direction with repentance. And I just want to kneel down before the altar here this morning and say, Lord, it's yours. And from this point, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to get up. Afterwards, I'm going to have a conversation with Alex or Jim or John or Ryan. And I'm going to express that and get it out in the open because there is no shame. And all of us have struggles. And Lord, I want to keep walking forward. And in order to do that, I can't keep living the way I am. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.